to uh, John chapter 20, verse 11. We are finally, after several weeks, have come to the actual resurrection of Christ. Uh, we spent some time looking at the cross and then looking at that time between his death on the cross and the resurrection. And, and yet, even as we come to the resurrection, it begins with tears. I, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot about Mary Magdalene and, and, and her struggles here, but you know, to be real honest with you, uh, this mixture of, of emotions within this text are emotions that I felt just this week and, and even today. You know, life is filled with both defeat and victory, sorrow and hope. That's just life. We are, I'm excited. We're celebrating the fact that here after 18, almost 18 full months after we first had to go to online only uh, services and then eventually begin to have services with two different uh, uh, hours of Sunday school and two different worship services so that we divided our people out and, and had less people together at one time. We're finally coming toward the end of that, and we're going to be able to come together next Sunday morning in here at this hour, and we're going to begin with the Lord's Supper as a celebration of the Lord bringing us back together as one church family in one worship time under one roof. And we do that because we know that there is a measure of success as we've moved through the struggles of this pandemic. And I say a measure of success, certainly many have been vaccinated, many have had the disease and lived through it. We've had very few uh, within our own church body that have faced uh, real severe uh, reactions or outcomes from the pandemic, though we do have uh, a couple of our folks that are, that are still having some residual effects from the, the little outbreak that came after youth camp. And yet the Lord has, by and large, given us victory and, and health through all of this. And yet, just this week, we've seen death come very close to home. Matthew and Victoria's, uh, Victoria's friend and roommate, uh, her mother passed away on Monday after a several-week bout with COVID, and then she passed away Saturday, yesterday. And so in all honesty, we come with, with heartache and heartbreak and mixed feelings and, and look into the Lord for hope to carry us through our times of grief as we as we work through that, and, and yet here we come to the resurrection of Christ. Even today, as I stand here, I, I noticed in between the two services, Hurricane Ida made landfall as a strong Category 4 hurricane. And so we need to remember those who are in Louisiana right now, 150-mile-an-hour winds and 185-mile-an-hour wind gusts. We have soldiers right now whose lives are still in danger in Afghanistan after what we've seen is a, just a mess, somewhat of a debacle of our nation's foreign policy take place. A lot of heartbreak from, from that, both from those that are there now and many who have served there over the last 20 years. And so we come today, I come to this place and this pulpit with this weird mixture of, of joy and celebration, seeing what God has done and what God can bring us through, but also with sorrow and, and grief and heartache. But I'm reminded that for most of us, that's life. We, we, we move from times of, of, of struggle and difficulty to times of joy and celebration. I don't know how many times I've, I've been with a family when they were celebrating or remembering a loved one 
had a memorial service that was also filled with laughter, tears and laughter mixed together. The reason that we can do that is because of what we're talking about today, the resurrection and the hope that we have in Christ. I want to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus because he is victorious over the greatest enemy that we have, the enemy of sin and death. And, and because he has won the victory, even when we come with sorrows, when we're able to take our eyes off of the sorrows, take our eyes off of the past, and put our eyes on Jesus, we find hope and we find joy. Lord, teach us from your word today. Lord, that we might, might walk through the deepest, darkest valleys knowing that you're with us and Lord, you're going to provide and take care of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have the, we, we looked at the, the grave site last week where uh, Mary and Martha, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and uh, I lost her name, Salome, who was bringing the spices, came to the grave site, and they get there, and the stone's been rolled back, and it's empty. And they, John doesn't mention all of those ladies, but they, they run back to the disciples and they tell the disciples who were hiding in the upper room that they've stolen the Lord's body. They've taken him away and we don't know where they've taken him. So Peter and John rush to the, the grave site and they get there and they find the open tomb. John's standing on the outside. Peter rushes in ahead of him and, and looks around, and then John looks in, and they see that, that Jesus is gone, and they don't know for sure what's happened. We learned last week that when John saw the head covering wrapped up neatly and the shroud laying out, he believed at that point. We talked about how I, I believe he remembered Jesus' words from John chapter 2, that when you destroy this temple, and three days later it will be resurrected. So John believed at that point, but they went back to the upper room. Apparently... Mary Magdalene must have followed them to the tomb when they came back the second time because she's standing outside the tomb after they leave and go back. And that's where this week's story picks up. So in John 20, verse 11, the scripture says, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. She repeated uh, what she had said earlier. She, she thought that they'd stolen the body of Christ. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. So you see this, this struggle, this change of, of emotions that, that Mary walks through in this short period of time, of course. Now, I, I want to walk through this, but I want to look at the two big questions that were asked of Mary and then three commands that were given by Jesus. Now, we'll just start with that first question. Uh, right off the bat, Mary comes to the tomb and is crying. Now, John emphasizes this because he repeats it in the next sentence. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? And Jesus is going to ask her the same thing here in a moment. I think that I want to pause there because John makes a big deal out of that question. And I want to, I want to make a big deal out of it as well. Both the angels and Jesus asked, why are you crying? Well, it seems obvious to us, right? Of course she's crying. Jesus has died. But this is actually a technique that, that I would use if I was counseling somebody. If, if, if they have a certain thought or certainly if they're in, in tears, if they're in my office crying, well, I'm going to ask them, why are you crying? And maybe I know something of the background of what's just happened to them, but I want to hear them express to me why is it that they're crying at this point. Because in reality, Mary needed to say it. She needed to... to, to to express what was going on for her own sake. But also, we need to do that for our own sake. We can, we can surmise there are several reasons that Mary might have been crying. She might have been crying just because of overwhelming grief. Just the very fact that Jesus, whom she loved, had died, and now his body was missing. Now, certainly part of that comes with this, this idea that, that things aren't like I expected them to be. Uh, not only has he died, and, and I'm just hurting, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm missing him, but, but things aren't measuring up. Things are even worse because they've stolen his body. And so there's just this deep-seated grief that sets in. I've often told families when, I, uh, when I'm working through grief with them, uh, I'm reminded from the loss of, of Katie, our own daughter, that I learned, one of the things that I learned in her death was something that I don't think you can ever understand it unless you've been through something similar. And that was, even though we knew she was sick and knew that it, you know, her time was short, once she took her last breath, there was this pain right here. And for me, it was, it was right there in that, that lower breastbone right above my stomach, just aching, physical pain. I don't mean emotional pain. I mean a physical pain that I could not describe. It, 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 I heard people say that they were hurting, but I always think of that in an emotional way. There was a pain there that's just the pain of grief. When you lose someone that is that close to you, you can't explain it. I mean, I'll tell people it hurts like hell. I think that separation from a loved one hurts. And maybe that's why Mary was crying. They're, they're not excoriating Mary for crying. I want you to understand that. They're not, they're not saying that what she did was wrong. They're just asking the question, why are you crying? See, we, we've even asked the exact same question of Jesus from John chapter 11. Remember when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb and, and he's there with Lazarus' sisters? The scripture says Jesus wept. 
We've asked that question. Why did Jesus weep there? It may have very well been simply because of his separation from somebody that he loved. The sting of death had settled in. Maybe she was just overwhelmed with grief. But maybe she was crying because of the, this realization of unmet expectations. See, and I think that, that there's, there's something to this in this text. Because Mary still doesn't see who Jesus is. Mary is one of those who John would have described uh, up in verse 9 that says that they still not un- they did not understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead. She still thinks he's dead. So Mary comes to the tomb looking for the corpse. She's looking for the dead man. And, and she is, she's, her hope had been placed in the Christ who had given her physical health. Mary Magdalene is a lady who, who Luke says had been exercised by Jesus of seven demons. She was tormented by demons. She, she had seen Jesus physically heal the, the blind and, and the deaf and the mute. She'd seen Jesus raise people up out of the grave. And so certainly this Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver Israel. He was going to deliver our, our nation. He was going to set us back in a position of authority, and we were going to rise up over this Roman government. That was an expectation of the Messiah. And now he's dead. Not only is he dead, now he suffered the indignity that they've stolen his body, she believes. And so her expectation of who Jesus was what he could accomplish, she'd seen him accomplish so much, her expectations had been dashed on the rocks. Her hope for a victorious Israel, her hope for a future of peace in this life had been destroyed. He was dead. And so there was these unmet expectations. Sometimes that's why we grieve. We grieve over unmet expectations. We grieve because things didn't turn out the way we'd hoped that they would. Our kids didn't turn out the way we hoped that they would. Our lives didn't turn out the way we hoped that they would. And, and because of unmet expectations, we grieve. And finally, and I think that, that there's reason to, to see this here in this context, is she was weeping, and the reason she was crying was just out of unbelief. It had not registered with her as it had with John that Jesus was alive. At this point in the text, the only one that we know that believed was John himself. John, one of the closest disciples, thinking back over the promises of Christ, believed the promises of Christ that one day he'd be resurrected. John hadn't even seen him yet, but in verse 8 he says, I believed. See, Mary wasn't there yet. We know that Mary wasn't there yet because she was looking for a corpse. She was looking for a body in a tomb. She wasn't looking for the resurrected Christ. And so she's grieving out of her unbelief. She, was, she had not, it, it, the, the promises of Christ and the promises of new life had not registered with her yet at this point. And so she, she's grieving. If, if she simply would believe that Jesus was who he said he was, it would help her through this time of tears. 
And so then we come to the second question. She's already expressed, well, they've, they've taken my Lord away. So she doesn't believe he's resurrected. She believes he's dead. She believes all hope is lost. And he suffered the indignity of the body being moved. That's what she believes at this point. She expresses it again. They've taken him away. Having said this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. Now, I believe that as she turns and catches a glimpse of whom she believes is the gardener, that at this point, she's probably not full on looking at Jesus. Now, it, it, we, it may be that through her tears, she's not recognizing him. There's some other things that cause her to recognize Jesus here in a moment. But it's always an interesting text. When people who have walked with Jesus come in, into the presence of the resurrected Christ and they, they don't recognize him right away. One of the reasons is because they're not looking for him. She didn't expect Jesus to be standing there. She expected a gardener to be standing there right? And so out of the corner of her eye, she catches a glimpse of, of who she believes to be the gardener. And supposing he's the gardener first, Jesus says to her, woman, why are you crying? He repeats that first question, but then he asks a second, who is it that you're seeking? See, I believe that she was not there looking for the resurrected Christ. She was there looking for a body. And there's a reason for that. Because her expectations at that point were, had not bought fully into the fact that he would not be in the grave on the third day. Jesus had told them that. He had promised his disciples that. But somehow that did not fully register with anyone at this point except for John. And so he asked her the question, who are you looking for? Who did she come looking for? Certainly, we believe that she was looking for who she thought was the Messiah, who was now dead, who had died on the cross and had been placed in a grave. She was looking for someone other than the risen Lord. That's all, that's all that we know for sure. She was looking for somebody other than the risen Christ because if she had been looking for the risen Christ, once she saw the tomb was empty, she'd be looking around for the risen Jesus. So she was struggling at that point still with her belief. So what was she looking for? Who did she see Jesus to be? See, some people, when they come to Jesus, they're looking for a great leader. And, and in reality, that's the top thing that the Jews were looking for in the Messiah, a victorious, human, militant leader who would, who would become the Messiah, who would give uh, reestablish the throne of David and of Solomon, and who would bring Israel back to its point of highest esteem. That's who, that's who the Jews were looking for in a leader, in a Messiah. And so maybe that's who she was looking for. The problem with that, all of that had been dashed. All of that had been destroyed when Jesus died on the cross and she saw him die. Our hopes of a, of a militant Messiah are gone. Maybe she was looking for a great teacher. In fact, in all honesty, that seems to be uh, the best answer from this context. If you ask the question, who are you looking for? Because when she does recognize Jesus, what does she call him? She turns fully to him. She grabs a hold of him and she cries out, teacher. She was... All of this time, even seeing Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing Jesus heal the lame, give, give sight back to the blind, in all of that, Mary Magdalene bought into the fact that he was the great 
teacher. She called him teacher. At this point, she did not call him Lord. She did not call him Messiah. She did not call him my God and my King, my Lord. She called him Rabboni, teacher. A title of respect, certainly. And certainly, Jesus is a great leader. And Jesus is a great teacher. But that was not primarily who Jesus is. That's not at the very core of Jesus' nature. See, John wanted us to, to never forget. And so he put those as the first words of his prologue when he launched his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a leader. He is the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God. And I believe that if we come to Christ looking for a great teacher, we're going to find what we look for. We're going to find great teachings of Jesus. We live in a culture now where even our churches will strip, I say now, this has happened for centuries, but, but it's prevalent now. They'll strip the scripture of its miraculous truth, and they'll look to Christ for his teachings and they'll talk about his teachings. They'll talk about, well, even if, if we believe that, that, that there's this man who lived 2,000 years ago, he's a great teacher, but certainly he wasn't God. That is not who Jesus claimed to be, and that is not who the New Testament claims for Jesus to be. Jesus is God. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a great leader. He is the Messiah. And in his answer to her, you see that. He is God. Jesus answers our greatest need. We need great leaders in this world. <laughs> we need great leaders in our nation at this time. We need great teachers in this world. But you know what my greatest need is? I need a Savior. Because there's no hope of getting out of this world alive. Do you know ultimately what the death statistics are? I can assure you that if Jesus doesn't come back, there is a one out of one chance that you and I are going to die, right? That's the truth. And, and we are either going to die in our sin or we're, we're going to die forgiven of our sin. If we die in our sin because we're all sinners, Scripture says we'll spend eternity separated from God. So the greatest need that I have, though I need great leaders... We need great leaders in our nation. And though we need great teachers, our greatest need is we need a great Savior. We need someone who could shed his blood and, and offer us the gift of eternal life. And that one person, that one someone is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus stepped out of heaven, walked on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross Mary had just seen and was resurrected out of the tomb victorious over death that no one else has ever done and won the victory so that you and I could have a great Savior. The Messiah came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came to seek and to save you and me. That's who we need. But if we go to Jesus looking for just a leader, we'll find a leader. If we go to Jesus looking for a teacher, we'll find a rabbi. But if we go to Jesus looking for the Savior, looking for the Lord, we will find the King. We'll find our Savior in Christ. That's why Jesus asked the question, who are you looking for? 
It had not registered with her yet that he was going to fulfill all of his promises, that when he said he was going to rise again, that he would actually do it. But once he speaks her name and she hears her name spoken, she knows. Because the next thing that she says about him, after she realizes who he is, down in verse 18, she went and he told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Not I've seen the rabbi, but I've seen the Lord. So there's three commands then that Jesus gives Mary Magdalene. Now, this passage is, is uh, some of the commentators fret over it and the difficulty of this passage. There's a lot more difficult passages in Scripture than this one. But that first phrase does create some questions because Jesus looks at her apparently, and, and John doesn't detail it in the narrative, but apparently Mary has turned to him and grabbed onto him. She's clinging to him. And whether it's physically clinging to him, which I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, I have... I have stood by the, the casket of, of, of folks who, when the family would pass by, they, they just had a hard time letting go of the body. And you'll see people that, that that's the physical expression. That's how they've known their mother. That's how they've known their sister. And so it's hard to let go at that point. Even though in their head and in their faith, they know that, that their loved one is not in the casket anymore. Their loved one is in the presence of the Lord. That, that physical expression seems to be something we want to cling to. So Mary here is clinging to the physical expression of what was her hope. She's clinging to the one who cast the demons out of her. She's clinging to the one who gave her hope throughout all of her life, who she had looked to. And so in some very real ways, she's clinging not to the promise of the future that the resurrected Christ offered, but she's clinging to the body, the person that Christ before the resurrection, she thought he was. She's clinging to something that's no longer going to be here in a couple of days, so don't, don't hold on to this body. Don't cling to this, Mary. We're in a transition here because soon I'm going to be with my father. Soon I'm going to ascend, and I'm going to be back with him. And, and, and that's all John gives us, but I imagine that, that on Jesus' mind, is what you need to cling to is my spirit. Cling to the Holy Spirit. Just last night, I promised my disciples that I'm not going to leave you all as orphans. Or just before I died, I'm not going to leave you all as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. Yes, we cling to the Lord when we go through difficult times. We cling to the Lord when we go through a great, victorious times. But we cling to his spirit who is with us and who is in us. So don't cling to the past, Mary. The Holy Spirit will soon come. She was clinging to how she had known him, not the future that she had in him. So the first command there is don't cling. Don't hold on to the past. He has been resurrected. Death is defeated. In fact, he uses a word here for the first time in the Gospel of John. And John, believe me, is intentional in how he uses these words and how he uses this language. For the first time, and this could get by you real quick, he says, but go to my brothers. Wait a minute, we've just said Jesus is God. Yes, he is. Jesus is the great I am. He was there at the beginning before creation. He was there at creation. Not anything was created uh, without him being there, all things were created for him and by him and through him. 
Without him, nothing was created. He was there. He's God. And yet, for the first time, he says, go to my brothers. He uses the language that, that the disciples who are hiding in the upper room are now his brothers. How can that be? Why the change in the Gospel of John? Here's why. Because the moment that Jesus died and rose again, the redemption offering was complete. And those disciples of his who up to that point were his disciples, up to that point who were his friends, as he described them in John chapter 14, once Jesus died, shed his blood, and rose again, they could be adopted into the family of God for eternity. They could now cry out to God, Abba, Father, the same way that Jesus called out to God, Father. And so now, James and John and Peter and Andrew and Bartholomew, they're no longer just friends. They're no longer just disciples. They are brothers because they've been adopted into the family of God. That's an incredible picture for us because once Jesus rose up out of the grave, defeating sin, sin no longer had a hold over you and I. What had separated you and I from God, from a relationship with God, is now gone. And so by faith, you and I can call out to God, Abba, Father. And Jesus calls us brothers. The Jesus walking around on this earth in that physical body could refer to us as brothers because we have one Father in God. That could not be until we'd re been redeemed by the blood of Christ and sin and the grave had been defeated. And so the first time that he speaks of the disciples after his resurrection, he calls them brothers. So that's the question for us. Are, 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 have you put your faith and trust in Christ so that you can call out to God, Abba, Father, Daddy, is he your father? God has offered you that opportunity to enter into relationship with him for an eternal kingdom. His disciples had, they'd committed. Have you? Don't cling to my body. Don't hold on to the past. Don't hold on to what you had hoped for, what you had thought before. Hold on to what I have for you in the future. And then he gives two more commands to Mary. These don't take a whole lot of exposition or explanation. They just are what they are. You can take them for what it is. Jesus said, you're mine, Mary. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. Go tell them what you've seen. Go tell them what I've said. God commands each and every one of us who has been adopted into his family as his children Every one of us who he has cleansed by the blood of his son, who have, all of us who have experienced the resurrected power of Christ to clean us and to purify us and to give us hope of eternal life, he commands every one of us, just like he did Mary, go tell. Go tell. There is someone that God has in mind for you today, I can assure you, that you need to go tell. The first thing Mary needed to do was go back to the disciples and tell them what she had seen. 
I believe that the Lord is challenging every single one of us, and he's calling each one of us today. If you have been redeemed by my blood, if you're the recipient of my love, if you are now my child, if you can call me father, go tell somebody. Go let them know what I've done for you. Go tell them about the hope that, that I have. Go tell them that I'm resurrected, that I'm not dead. I'm no longer in the grave. Go tell them you've seen me. Go tell. There is a world right outside these doors that is lost and dying. COVID has sped that up for many. And those who don't know Christ, who don't have the hope of the resurrection, who don't have eternal life in Christ, are weeping and grieving without hope today. Some of us are grieving today for the loss of a friend, the loss of a family member. But for those who knew Christ and those who know Christ, we grieve with hope because Christ is risen. He defeated death. He destroyed the enemy. Yesterday, we had a, a celebration of life in here for a deacon who passed away back in November. He passed away on Thanksgiving Day right in the heart of the COVID outbreak. And so his family could not do a, a, a service for him then. They tried again in February, and they could not do it then because of COVID in their family. And so we had the celebration, and they chose to call it just that, a celebration of life. And those of you that knew Rusty Epley would understand why. He, he was a hoot. He was a, a, a fun guy to be around. He was a jokester. He's the guy who, thankfully, I don't use waiters when I baptize, but those pastors who did... Every pastor before me, I understand, at some point when they went to put their waders on, found that there was water in the bottom of their waders in the boots because Rusty had put a little bit of water in each side. I hear that he actually put a goldfish in one of them one time. So. We came here yesterday to celebrate his life even though he had been taken from us far too soon with Alzheimer's because we have hope in Christ, because Jesus is resurrected. We knew that since last Thanksgiving, the, the spirit of Rusty had been in the presence of God. And we had hope, we have hope that we'll see him again because he knew and loved and served Jesus. So we come and we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Mary, when she runs back to the disciples, What's her simple message? I saw the Lord. You know what? When we, we talk about the, the video testimonies that we've put out, that's really what we've just been asking you to do. Just simply say, hey, this is what I was like before I met Jesus. This is how I met him, and I've met him, and he changed me. It's not that hard. I've seen the Lord, and now I have hope. Have you seen the Lord? Have you met him? Do you have that relationship with him? Can you call out to God, Father, and know that you have brothers and sisters who you're going to spend eternity with? If so, go tell. Because there's people around you that need to hear that story. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to tell your story. Go tell. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. 
If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and